Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. The first electoral contest of 2020 occurred recently in Iowa, and as we prepare for this year's election, it's important to allow the Bible to govern our thinking. You'll be hearing from Robert Morgan of Donaldson Fellowship in the Nashville area, who explores Bible verses relevant to American history. Then, there may be times in life when things seem to be out of control and on a downward spiral. Rhonda Robinson provides encouragement for staying focused on Christ's solid foundation during instability. And the death of basketball legend Kobe Bryant has made a significant impact. Drew Province of Upward Sports believes that his death, as well as the recent Super Bowl event, can offer some practical opportunities through which children can be taught valuable biblical life lessons. You'll be hearing some of his comments. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, life coach Valerie Burton brings some motivation material for women who are seeking to fulfill their purpose and to pursue success from God's perspective. Finally, Felicia Masonheimer offers a Christ-centered look at identity in the Lord, encouraging believers to consider the identity of God and what Jesus has done in order to bring us into our relationship with himself. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Robert J. Morgan is teaching pastor at Donaldson Fellowship in Nashville. He has written extensively in the form of books and as a writer for David Jeremiah's Turning Points magazine. His latest book is entitled 100 Bible Verses That Made America, Defining Moments That Shaped Our Enduring Foundation of Faith. With some insight into the way that biblical principles have been integrated into American history, here is Robert Morgan. Well, some years ago, I was reading a biography um, of uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and when he was a child, uh, he got into some trouble, and his mother gave him a Bible verse, and that Bible verse... Uh, changed his life. I mean, it became a foundational truth for him. And I begin to wonder, are there other times when the Bible has had a determining effect upon leaders or events in America? And I begin going back uh, to colonial times, and all through the history of the United States, there have been times when Bible verses have had such an impact upon people that truly, Bob, I don't think that there would be a United States of America today without the influence and presence of God's Word. And we've got to let our children know this. When they read the textbooks in the school, all of this has been expunged, but it's there. It cannot really be erased. And this is a book that parents can—there's 100 installments. Each installment is only three pages. Parents can read this to their children— and give them a biblical tour of American history that, well, I think this is a very unique way of letting people or reminding people uh, or challenging people about the integrity of the biblical Judeo-Christian heritage of the, uh, of the USA. Um, I, it's just, to me, it became a mission. I, I hope that people will give this book to their congressmen, to their senators, to their mayors, to their city councils. We've got to let people know that the Bible and the influence of Christians has been an incredible force for good in the history of our nation. So in your research, I want you to share about Washington's faith, his statements, and how those principles really became so instrumental in shaping our new nation. 
Well, the modern secularists are trying to tell us that George Washington was a deist, and a deist was someone who really didn't believe in a personal God. And that has been the popular teaching about Washington since the 1930s. It is a lie. He was an Anglican who believed in all of the creeds, and his entire life was devoted to reading sermons. He was a man of prayer, and his faith, uh, he was uh, a little bit private about it, uh, but not as much as people think. For example, and this is the way we, we actually have this at the very beginning of the book, Bob, when he was inaugurated president of the United States. And I was just there this week at the very site where that occurred in lower Manhattan. He placed his hand not on the Constitution, not on the Declaration of Independence. He placed it on the Bible, opened to Genesis 49, which is the chapter about the sons of Jacob who were going to become a great nation. And he took the oath of office. And as soon as he finished, he bent over and he kissed the Bible. And he was indicating his reverence for the authority of Scripture, which was the ultimate authority from which all of our government derives its source of power. And then uh, there's another thing that we have early in the book here. When he, um, at the end of the Revolutionary War, this was prior to his inauguration, when he met with his officers and, uh, and resigned from his post as general, he wrote a letter to the, to the 13 governors of the 13 states. And in this letter, he composed the prayer for the new states. And I'm going to read it to you. It's very brief. But he says, I now make it my earnest prayer to God that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, Jesus Christ, and without a humble invitation, uh, imitation of whose example and these things we can never hope to be a free nation. Robert Morgan here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website robertjmorgan.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Rhonda Robinson. She has authored a book called Free Fall, Holding On to Faith When the Unthinkable Strikes. In our conversation, she shared words of encouragement based on her own experience gained through the unthinkable in her own life. Here now is Rhonda Robinson. He was 13. His name was Dan. And um, he and his older brother were getting ready to go to a basketball practice in the summer. They had two other boys in the truck with them. And they were on an unmarked country road um, heading to play basketball. And he, they were hit, T-boned. And um, he died at the scene. And, you know, I realized, you, you asked about, you know, writing the book. One day it, it occurred to me that there are a lot of ways for you, for your life to shatter. People, you know, there's, there's phrases that are said, like, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. It's malignant. But for me, it was, he died at the scene. Mm. And, and it's just your entire life. It's like it stops right at that moment. And you can't see the future. And I think that's the hardest part is that 
you can't see the future because whether we like it or not, we all have some preconceived ideas on what our future is going to be and and who we are and what our life our life is. You know, for me, I was a, a homeschooling mom and I had a house full of children and my identity and my life really evolved around writing parenting columns in my gardens and raising these children. And then when with his death, it just all shattered. I, I couldn't see tomorrow because that was all of a sudden a world I didn't want to live in anymore. And I think that when those phrases or people say those things to you, like I said, it's malignant. All of a sudden, that future doesn't look like the same one you had envisioned or that you felt like that you felt like God would. Where was God? You know, wait a minute. I I signed up for a marriage for a lifetime before God, and and now and now that's gone. So I think there's a lot of ways to just send your life and your your faith into just a, an out and out freefall. In the process, obviously, there was a grief process in the loss of your son. Oh, you yes. began to to exercise these principles of gratitude. Mm-hmm. What else did God show you in the midst of this all, in the midst of these circumstances? What did he show you about yourself that really he wanted to take and that he wanted to change or even remake? Oh, that's a great question. One of them, I think, is to be really honest with my feelings and to be really honest with my pain. This was a life-changing circumstance. And when a life-changing circumstance hits us or an event, our kind of our go-to and my go-to was, I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, I can, I, I, and put on a face and say, and try to um, push it down or push it away. And what the Lord spoke to me is, you don't get to do that. You need to press in and feel this for all its fury. And trust me, because when we are weak, he is strong. And I had to literally learn to be able to press into the darkness and press into the grief and feel that pain, that pain, and be able to listen to the Lord's voice, to put away my self-sufficiency. Because the, the Bible tells us that he is near to the brokenhearted. And he draws near to us when we are in so much pain and when we have these life-changing events. You know, Bob, when something like this happens, you're going to change. And you're either going to be refined or you're going to allow the pain to warp you into something that you weren't created to be. And I had a choice to make. And I asked the Lord to please, please refine me, take this pain and use it to draw me closer to you and teach me what I needed to know to walk through this time. Rhonda Robinson here on The Intersection. Her website address is rondarobinson.tv. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Drew Province, Partner Engagement Manager at Upward Sports. He discussed the recent Super Bowl game as well as the death of Kobe Bryant, and shared how the world of sports can provide opportunities to teach children and families biblical truth. Here now is Drew Province. 
I think the the Super Bowl has got some great lessons that you can pull out of it. And what an exciting night, uh, the game itself, the pregame festivities that you were sharing about, Bob, uh, where you look at the Super Bowl and you look at these teams and specifically, you know, you, you look at the teams out there and they have been practicing for the past 10 months. They've been preparing for this game for the past 10 months, summer practices that started back in June of last year. And during those hard practices, uh, the Chiefs practice with intentionality to win that game and to prepare to win the Super Bowl and uh, and ultimately be in that position to win. And, and then you have, you know, the Chiefs coach, Andy Reid, uh, you know, win, winning the Super Bowl. And he's notoriously known as one of the hardest workers in the NFL. And he gets up at 3 a.m. in the mornings uh, to go into work hours before the rest of the team gets to the practice facility throughout the, uh, the game weeks during the year. And so uh, he's put in so much work to get there, and all the players and coaches have, have really made it this, this far because they have had uh, an intentionality with what they do. And so when you think about the lessons of what the Bible shares with this, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, 9.24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the, pro- get the prize. And so the Bible just gives us this playbook of what winning looks like in life. Winning is more than a, than a scoreboard. And the lesson is that we should live with intentionality to win in our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our academic lives, and our social lives. And we ultimately should live with a purpose. And I think that's one of the great lessons that we can take away uh, watching the events last night. And then the other, the other thing, too, is you know the Super Bowl, this grandiose event, uh, it was so great to see the happiness of the Chiefs players and, and the coaches and the Hunt family, the ownership, hoist the Lombardi Trophy last night. And you could see the joy and accomplishment that they had for that moment. And this is the biggest achievement that you can have in football. And as great as winning at the biggest stage is, the reality is it's going to fade over time. And so a great thing that you can share with your kids and even if you're a church leader, share with the congregation is like everything in life, uh, you cannot take a Super Bowl ring with you when you pass away. I mentioned my dad playing in the NFL, and you mentioned that, Bob, and you know he played in the Super Bowl and the accolades and the, uh, the legacy that he has from a sport perspective. All of that is finite, and it's all going to pass away. But the Bible teaches us that the reward of living for God is going to last forever. And Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. You know, the Chiefs, they had an incredible accomplishment last night, but in reality, it pales in comparison to the eternal reward of living for Jesus. And I think that's just a huge thing to take away as a Christian parent or Christian leader uh, to share with our communities and, and our families. What would you say would be maybe some of the lessons of of the life of Kobe Bryant and the way that he approached and played the game. Kobe has definitely made an incredible impact. You can see that just globally, uh, the mourning that we have uh, seen over his death and, and even the, the, uh, the others that were on that crash. And so there's many lessons that I think you can take away from Kobe's uh, life and the good things that he's done and some of the, uh, the characteristics that we can aspire to be like. But I look at just the grief of it, too. Uh, this reality, uh, the grief and mourning is a normal emotional reaction to tragedy and it and it helps to, to do it with others too and and you know in Romans Paul talks about how Christians are called to mourn with those who mourn and it's important that I think we teach our kids that, that with grief 
uh, it's part of being human. And we should mourn with the Bryant family and all those impacted by the passing of, of Kobe and, and his daughter and the other seven victims. And then again, this perspective of it too uh, with Kobe is that there's there's life after death. You know, in the crash with, with Kobe and the other victims, his 13-year-old daughter was in there and two other 13-year-olds were on board that helicopter. And it's an incredibly tragic occurrence, but it reminds us that no one knows but God the number of days that we have on this earth. Nobody knows. And God knows. And, and we're never too young to make a life-changing decision for Christ. And, uh, and death really doesn't discriminate when it comes to wealth, popularity, and age. And, and death is part of the human experience. But as Christians, we have the hope of life after death. You know, like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the true lesson that comes out of uh, the tragic occurrence of Kobe uh, and the, uh, the others on board, I believe. Drew Province here on The Intersection. You can learn more about Upward Sports through the website Upward, U-P-W-A-R-D, This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center as well. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversation material from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Moving on now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast. Valerie Burton is a life coach who spoke with me recently and offered some insight into her own life story and related principles about success based on a Christian perspective as she shares in the book, Life Coaching for Successful Women. Here now is Valerie Burton. My background was in journalism. I went to school for journalism and uh, was always a good writer. I wasn't a fast writer, so the idea of writing on deadline was terrifying to me. <laughs> and uh, so I started my career in public relations. I started a PR firm, and I was good at it. I just wasn't passionate about it, and I started praying. Like, God, what am I here for? What is my purpose? How do you want me to use my gifts? I got the answer, but it was, you know, you're supposed to inspire others to live more fulfilling lives. You'll do it through writing and speaking. I heard it one day as clear as a bell. I was in a bookstore and um, I started writing almost immediately and published my first book myself. And then a bigger publisher picked it up and I just continued uh, to do that. That was 20 years ago. And so as I wrote, I realized there was a field. People kept calling me a life coach and I kept arguing I'm not a life coach. So (laughs) I decided to look into coaching and um, began coaching because it's really the one-on-one of what I was writing and speaking about. So let's fast forward now to this particular book. It was just released a matter of weeks ago called Life Coaching for Successful Women. Obviously, you have a strong message from your own personal experience for women. Tell me about the inspiration for this particular book. Well, first of all, when I talk about success, we all have in our heads what that means, and oftentimes it's it's based on what culture tells us it is, which is often very external, you know, uh, job titles, money, um, 
you know, who your spouse is, what, you know, just, just things that don't really eternally matter that much. Um, but when I talk about success, I'm talking about a harmony of purpose, resilience, and joy. So understanding what you're here for, um, being able to bounce back over and over again, because inevitably life has setbacks, and then finding your joy in the everyday stuff. And so um, this book is divided into very small chapters, so you feel like you're making progress, and it's coaching you in different areas of your life. And when I say coaching, I mean asking you those powerful questions that get you the answers to those dilemmas that we all face. As we think about this whole topic of success, and you alluded to it earlier, obviously success is not something that is predicated on wealth or or power or some of the things that this world has to offer Elaborate just a bit on what you see as a practical definition of success. Mm. Well, I, like I said, it always begins with purpose, but measuring how resilient you've been able to be, because life just, we always, we always have our plans, Bob, in this kind of uh, linear way. I'm going to go from A to B to C. Yep, and as sure. we all know, it doesn't typically happen that way. So, we most most of us don't start at that same starting point. Look back and say, how far have I come? What have I overcome? What have I persevered through? That is success, being able to exercise your faith even when it's difficult. And then lastly, like I said, joy. Life doesn't always go the way we planned it. But when you can make a decision to find reasons to be thankful, when you can make a decision to find your joy even in the midst of difficulties. And I'm not saying ignoring the sadness. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to be angry and so forth. But in the everydayness of life, can you smile? Can you open the door for someone? Can you think of others? That's what really brings us a sense of joy. And so I want us to really look at success, not simply in terms of those external markers, but more importantly, looking at how God looks at us. What is your witness when people who may not even have faith look at you? I remember when my mother had the aneurysm. She had been in the hospital probably six weeks at this point, and I went to church and it was after people kept asking me, how's it going? And I was like, oh, it's so hard. I was talking about how hard it was. And as I walked to my car, I felt the Holy Spirit say, would you stop telling people how hard it is and start telling them what I'm doing in your mother's life and in your family's life? In other words, mm. help them to see me in this. And it was a turning point for me where I was like, you know, these doctors are experimenting on my mom because none of them have ever seen someone survive this type of brain aneurysm. So why can't I tell them that? Why don't I talk about how family and friends have come around us? Why don't I talk about how I work from home so I was able to move into my mom's home so that I can help with raising my brother? Like it was it was a turning point for me to not just focus on what I didn't have, but more importantly, to focus on what I still had left. Valerie Burton here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to her website. It's Valerie, V-A-L-O-R-I-E, Burton.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Felicia Masonheimer. She is the author of the book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Finding Soul-Deep Strength in a Skin-Deep World. She challenged listeners to examine their identity in Christ in light of what God's Word has to say about what Jesus has done in bringing salvation. 
Here now is Felicia Masonheimer. This book actually began as a viral blog post four <laughs> years ago. Wow. So I've been thinking about this topic for quite a while. And the blog post was called something similar, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. And it was addressed to women's ministries as a whole in the Western church and how so many women's ministries will talk about beauty and identity and being beautiful daughters of the king, but they won't talk about much else. And so women will come to women's events. They'll read these devotionals that talk about something we really do want to know. Am I beautiful? What is my identity? But what they're receiving doesn't actually work out to a powerful Christian life. These women don't know how to study the Bible for themselves. They go from devotional to devotional, or they go home from the women's event and the realities of their job and their motherhood and their marriage. It doesn't seem to truly be impacted by what they learned there. And so in this blog post and then in the book, we talk about how the Christian life actually is a life of victory and strength because that's what Jesus promised. But in order for that to happen, we have to understand the gospel rightly. One of the roles of the Spirit of God is to convict us. Convict us of what? Well, that is to convict us of our sins. So the Word of God can really help to point out the areas in which we need to improve, that we need to submit and to walk in obedience. And sometimes that can, if if someone is looking to have a pat on the back and to be affirmed and to be told something positive, well, God's Word doesn't always fit that bill, does it? No, it is challenging to our sinful nature. It's challenging to the natural ways that we want to live. And in the book, I go into several chapters specifically addressing areas of life that we tend to struggle in, like bitterness or isolating ourselves from community, anxiety, grief, disappointment, things that not all of these are sins, but they are struggles. And the Bible speaks directly to all of them. And so as you look at taking God's truth and applying it to these various areas, sin areas or areas of brokenness, how have you found that God's Word can actually be applied or deployed into these areas where we struggle? Well, the really neat thing about the Word is that as you study it, you're truly getting to know the person of God. So even the passages that don't feel super applicable to your present situation are teaching you truths about God that do apply to your situation. So if you're studying in Psalms, you might not see something that directly addresses your husband losing his job, but you will see truths about God always being at your right hand. So you will not be shaken, Psalm 16. That's a truth about God that you can depend on in your specific situation. Now, sometimes the Bible does specifically address sin issues. It'll tell you not to gossip. It will tell you to love your neighbor. It will tell you to give grace to the weak. But other times, and I would say most of the time, it's teaching us these very big principles about who God is and how he interacts with man. And the more we expose ourselves to the word, the more we we know and we're able to believe and trust God. And that's what actually transforms our lives in the daily 
mundane things that we do. Felicia Masonheimer here on The Intersection. Her website is Felicia, P-H-Y-L-I-C-I-A, Masonheimer.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversation material from The Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio website or through the Meeting House homepage, also through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Through that media center, you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in that media center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to faithradio.org, check out the programming section, or visit meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.